couple of weeks ago began a series of sermons on responding some responding to can we trust God, can we trust Christ, can we trust Scripture, and springing from that are some other questions. Can I remain firm in my faith in high school and college? Can we prove Christianity? Do we need more answers to reach unbelievers? Do we need to fear what unbelievers fear? Is there proof for Christianity, for evolution? Should we try to prove our faith to our children? Can we trust God? Maybe Islam is correct. And as we work through Hebrews 11, we found that faith is central. Taking God at his word. This morning we want to look at another portion of scripture coming from 1 Peter. And as we look at that portion of scripture, again, finding that faith is critical. From faith springs a lot of answers and we'll be giving them in the weeks to come. So let's take a moment in silence, pray together, then we'll look at 1 Peter. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the life we have in Christ. Thankful for the spirit that you are given to live in us, to work in us. As we look at some of First Peter this morning, Father, we want to be open to you, sensitive to you, eager to apply your word in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I invite you to turn to First Peter chapter 3. We'll read several verses and then we'll be looking at the context of the passage. First Peter chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Fox's Book of Martyrs contains the history of those who lived and died for Christ during early church history. Around 274 to 278 AD, Acapus, a young gentleman who sold his estate, gave the money to the poor, was seized as a Christian. He was tortured and then beheaded at a city within a day's journey of Rome. Marcus and Messalus were twins, natives of Rome and of noble descent. Their parents were heathens, but the tutors to whom the education of the children was entrusted brought them up as Christians. Their consistency at length subdued those who wished them to become pagans, And their parents and whole family became converts to faith that before they had reproached. They were martyred by being tied to posts and having their feet pierced with nails. 
after remaining in this situation for a day and a night, their sufferings were put to an end by thrusting lances through their bodies. Zoe, the wife of the jailer, who had cared for the before-mentioned martyrs, was also converted by them and hung upon a tree with a fire of straw lighted under her. When her body was taken down, it was thrown into a river with a large stone tied to it in order that it would sink. The account of some individuals who experienced persecution and death for their faith. As we think about the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter is written to people who are being persecuted for their faith. And according to chapter 1 and verse 1, it's written to God's elect, strangers in the world. And it's important to keep in mind that as you read 1 Peter, and we discuss 1 Peter, that it's directed to God's elect, and again to strangers in the world. He goes on in chapter 1 to strangers scattered throughout. And he lists Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and so on. The people he's writing to, I guess I'm losing power in that. The people he's writing to are in what we call Asia, in some of the cities there. They were being persecuted. They were going through difficulty for the sake of Christ. Their faith is being tested. Look at chapter six, or chapter 1 and verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, that is, in the salvation you have, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and resolved in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Writing to God's elect, strangers in the world, and their faith is being tried. The flow of First Peter, he mentions that they're God's elect, they're strangers in the world. In chapter 1, 3 through 12, he talks about the great salvation <clears throat> that... They had experienced. And then he tells them how to respond to the great salvation in chapter 113 through chapter 5 in verse 11. He tells them to be holy. To live as strangers in the world. To love one another deeply. To get rid of certain things such as malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and so on. He tells them who they are as strangers. They live in the world as strangers. Who are they? And then he gives further guidance on how to live. And then at the very end of the book, there's the final greeting. So here's people who are God's elect. They live as strangers in the world. And he's telling them how to live well in persecution. He talks about submitting to authority. He talks about slaves submitting to their masters, wives in their response to their husbands, husbands in their response to their wife. He talks about living in harmony with one another. And don't be shocked at the trial that you're going through. Now, as you think about 1 Peter, 
It's always important to understand the flow and the context of what is taking place. Suppose you were going to go for some surgery. Sam Jumper, as an example, is going to have a heart cath done tomorrow. And they were not concerned in any way, shape, or form about his medical history. The doctor says, show up tomorrow. And Sam says, you want to know anything about me? I don't need to know anything about you. I think Sam would kind of back off and say, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. In the same way, sometimes we jump into Scripture. What's happening in the flow of the passage in the context? And some things we need to think about in relation to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 is the fact that the readers were strangers in the world. Clearly stated in chapter 1. And then look at 2 and verse 11. Chapter 2 and verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Now I'm looking for some response. When you think of living as an alien or a stranger in a country, what's that like? To live as an alien or stranger in some country. Not your home country. What's it like? Communication can be difficult. Anything else? When we're in Dominican, Okay, in the DR, you don't flush your toilet paper. You put it in a basket beside, and that's, again, because of the sewer system and so on. And that takes a little getting used to. And we were told, uh, you know, you put it down and it clogs, you're going to clean it. So that was a little incentive, you know, to uh, live as an alien and a stranger there. Anything else? You live as an alien and a stranger in a country. Food. You might not always like the food, or you try some food that you know is different. Now think about these people. They're living as aliens and strangers in this world. Very important because they're not going to live as the world lives. Coming through very, very strongly in this pat or this book is also the fact that Christ suffered. Look at chapter one and verse eighteen. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He's a lamb. He's the one who was sacrificed. Look at chapter 2 and verse 21. To this you were called, that is, suffering, Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Again, suffering. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. Throughout Peter, in his first epistle, is Christ's sufferings. Also, in First Peter, is the suffering of believers. We read earlier chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They accuse you of wrongdoing. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Clearly stated in verse 20, suffering We're doing good. In chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Again, the idea of believers in this book going through suffering. Go over to chapter 4. And verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Painful trial. Some were dying. They were going through physical difficulties. Don't be surprised. The suffering that they're going through is because they were living as aliens and strangers in the world. They were not following the routine of what people wanted. That resulted in suffering. In light of what we've discussed to this point, understand that Christ's suffering was due to his obedience to his father. He trusted his father He did not demand explanations or reasons. He trusted his father. The suffering of Christ was due to his obedience to his father. 
So believers suffering in First Peter is due to their obedience to Christ. Why were these people suffering? Because they're obedient to Christ. So when the ruler of Rome said, you have to say that Nero is Lord, Christian would say, I can't. I can't say Nero is Lord. I can't say the emperor is Lord. Well, then you're going to lose your life. I will lose my life. They were aliens. They were strangers. They gave an account to a heavenly citizenship. This suffering means one participates in the sufferings of Christ. Look at chapter 4 and verse 13. Chapter 4 and verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now Peter is writing to aliens and strangers. They're going through suffering. And what does he tell them to do in the midst of their suffering? He says, Rejoice. Why? You participate in the sufferings of Christ. What Christ went through, you're going through. You're participating in his sufferings. Rejoice. So next Sunday morning... Joe comes and says, I'm really rejoicing. And we say, why are you rejoicing? And he said, Scott and Darlene were burnt because they wouldn't bow knee to President Obama. So that's a warped mindset. It's a biblical mindset. Believers that Peter is writing to were participating in the sufferings of Christ. They were suffering because of their obedience to Christ. It is natural to suffer when we're aliens and strangers in a world that moves in the opposite direction. So you're in a foreign country as an alien and stranger and you don't like the food, you're going to suffer every time you sit down and eat if you're going to maintain life. Because I don't like this stuff. There's a different type of suffering if you're sitting on the throne and you think, can't put this toilet paper in the toilet. I have to wad it up and put it in the basket beside the toilet. There's another degree of suffering comes as you're talking to someone and you think, they don't understand me and I don't understand them. The people to whom Peter is writing were living by a different master. So they experienced some difficulty along the way. A couple examples from the world in which we live today. You're going through a trial, maybe physical, maybe financial, maybe a relational trial. And in the midst of the trial, you have an attitude of joy. You're not trying to run away from it. You're trying to milk it for all it's worth. You want God to build character into your life and perseverance. And you're rejoicing in it. And someone says, what's happening in your life? You seem to be pretty joyful. Well, I'm going through this great trial. Well, how can you be joyful? I'm marching to a different master. 
You're crazy. Get out of your trial. Get over it quickly. That's a degree of suffering because we're living by a different master. Suppose on a job setting you're talking about the issue of marriage comes up and you give your views on what marriage is in light of Scripture. And someone says, you believe that old stuff from many, many years ago? You think that's still worthy and can be used today? Well, that's what the Bible says. Oh, you believe in that book too. You need to come into the 21st century. And they poke fun at you. That's suffering because we march to a different master. Let's suppose you're driving an older car. And someone says, oh, you probably should get a new car. You'll be more content. And you just respond to them, I'm very content where I am. Nothing wrong with a new car, but I don't have to have it. I can be content with the one that I presently have. You crazy? New is better. You've got to always have the latest. Whether it be a car, computer, or phone, or whatever. I'm just content. With that is going to come a form of persecution. You know, like, what's wrong with you? When we think about 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15... Setting apart Christ as Lord and being prepared to give an answer, that again is in the context of relationships. When Peter says, Set apart Christ as Lord, be prepared to give an answer, the relationships that he's talking about, look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every authority, institute among men, whether the king is the supreme authority or to government or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now try to project yourself back to the people to whom Peter is writing to. Nero is on the throne, we'll say. He's ruler. He is persecuting people. Your property is being confiscated. They're taking money out of your bank account. And some unbeliever comes into a church service And the person speaking in the service says, you are to obey those in authority over you. Obey Nero. And the unbelievers thinking, the pastor here is saying, obey Nero, obey those in authority over you. And Nero is the one that is killing people. Hey, i got a question for you. What kind of hope do you have that you obey those in authority over you when they're killing you? Tell me about your hope. That's in the context of relationships. Notice in verse 18, in the context of relationships, slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. So here we have a believer. Jim is a believer and he's a slave along with his family. Danny is his master. And Danny, for sake of the illustration, is not a believer and he's just really cruel to Jim. 
And Chip says to Jim, Chip's a non-believer for our sake of our illustration, Jim, I don't think I would take what you do from Danny. You just submit to him. You do what you're told to do. You don't whine. You don't complain. You follow through. Then Chip says, Jim, what kind of hope do you have that you can do that day after day after day? So it's in the context of relationships. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he says to wives, be submissive to your husband so that if one does not believe in the word, they may be won over without words. And he says to the husbands in chapter 3 and verse 7, be considered of their wives. Again, writing to people, it's in the context of relationships. So someone comes up to Shirley and says, you're married to Burrow, aren't you? He's a real tyrant, isn't he? I'm making this up, Burrow, so don't take it personally. He's just a difficult husband, isn't he? He's an unbeliever. He don't treat you very well, but yet you submit to him. And I've seen this happen for years. What's the reason for the hope that you have? Peter says, be ready to give an answer to the reason for the hope that you have. That hope is seen because of how life is lived in the relationships that Peter mentions that would also be true in our lives today. Go to First Peter chapter 3 now in verse 10. First Peter 3 and verse 10. Verses 10 through 12 are a quote from Psalm 34. First Peter 3 and verse 10. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attending to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And that's a quote from Psalm 34. Psalm 34 appears in the context of a psalm that is learning to fear God. So Peter takes Psalm 34, coming from a psalm that deals with learning to fear God, living in a world where there's persecution, he says, fear God. How do you do that? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. Seek peace, pursue it. Remember, the Lord's eyes are on you, and he responds accordingly. Fearing God in the midst of a difficult life. We read several of these verses before. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Peter talks about being blessed. 
if you suffer for what is right. We humans by nature don't think that way. Peter says you're blessed. So next Sunday morning, Kevin Panko comes and uh, he says, I was made fun of this week because I said something about God. And because of that, a couple kids tortured me physically. Said I was blessed. Where Peter's coming from. So Tom and Dee come next week and they say, really blessed this past week. Well, what happened? Something good happened in your life? Yeah. The government took $50,000 from our retirement account for the simple reason we're believers in Christ. Where Peter's coming from? Blessed when you suffer for doing what is right. And then he also says in verse 14 of chapter 3, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. What do unbelievers fear? Death, loss of stuff, pain, rejection, plus a host of other items. But don't fear what they fear. This happened recently in another country. A man was going to be put to death for his faith. And the man said to those that were going to put him to death, I just want you to know that I don't fear death at all. In fact, if you kill me, you're giving me a promotion. I'm going to go to be with my Lord. And they said, well, then we won't kill you. What was the man saying to these people? I don't fear what you fear. That is why in Hebrews, property could be confiscated and it didn't consume believers because they didn't fear the loss of stuff. Because they're aliens and strangers, their citizenship is in heaven. But all, again, in the context of faith in Christ. There's also much said about submission, which we talked about in the past, and we mentioned about suffering. So when Peter says, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you of the reason of the hope that you have, context of relationships, being blessed if you suffer for doing what is right, not fearing what unbelievers fear, submission and suffering. Perhaps we need to renew our minds. in the sense that we keep reminding ourselves we're strangers in this world. This food doesn't taste good. What they have on TV and much of what they have on radio and what the political system wants to do just doesn't seem quite right. Well, we're not of this world, so we're not going to buy into all of that. We're strangers. We're aliens. 
We need to renew our minds in the sense that we remember Christ suffered due to obedience to his Father. Therefore, we should not be surprised if we suffer at times because of our faith. And a final thought that we need to keep in mind is that those who live in our world today and other countries who are dying for their faith, we need to count them as being blessed. That's what Peter says. Pray for them accordingly that they would remain remain faithful, but still count them as being blessed. Go contrary to how we like to think, but yet biblical. And it it is in that context that Peter says, if anyone asks you the reason, the hope you have, be ready to share an answer. And we'll look at the passage more next week.